At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carry champions to be a champion, a champion, and carry champion, and carry champion, a champion, and carry champion, and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment, connected with in a world we're vulnerable, considered weak. Come and remove the veil from entertainment's elite. It's the difference between what is real and what the public sees. So here's your favorite celebrities behind the scenes. It's refreshing, authentic, the whole story specific. Life altering events to shape the person that you hear. We got a champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. It's the greatest in sports and entertainment connected with us. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest. I feel like it's been a long time since I was able to sit and talk with you guys. We taped some episodes ahead of time, which you should not tell anybody, but I was gone covering the Olympics. I did the Olympics update, um, but this is the first time in a while I've been able to just sit with y'all and see how y'all doing. Uh, today's podcast is interesting because several things have happened. I interviewed Richard Jefferson probably, I, I want to say late July maybe no maybe early July I, I mean I'm putting this all out here so you you get the context not only did we work together at ESPN but we um, also have done some things together afterwards I worked with him most recently on the Sports Illustrated Awards last year uh, which was great and I've just watched him blossom as an analyst as a host um, he really when people graduate, excuse me, you know, we say graduate, but when these athletes leave the pros and they come into our world, if you will, as broadcasters, as analysts, it's interesting to see how they adjust and how they figure it out. And Richard really has figured it out. What I find interesting about Richard, so many things, but from afar, I definitely um, judged him. We'll talk about that. And I think that's such a lazy, lazy attitude. People judge me all the time. We judge people. It's so lazy to put people in a box so that we don't have to figure them out because it's less for us to work at. Um, and Richard talks about this throughout this entire podcast. There's a theme. Richard has said um, black folks have always questioned his blackness. You know, it's interesting as an NBA player. Uh, he is being questioned about his blackness. And there are reasons why, right? It, it could be um, how he carries himself. It could be uh, the way in which he communicates. Not even could be, it probably is, because I was judging him too. Um, and it's also, you know, people try to, you know, get under the hood of who you are and then they hear you talking and you 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 don't have the same thought process. And sometimes that turns people off. 
So, and I'm namely speaking about Richard in the sense that as a black man, he feels like people are questioning his blackness. And I've had this topic come up before on Naked. Um, and I think any any person of color who's achieved any level of success is consistently called something other than black by some black people uh, because they feel like they aren't, you know, down with the, you know, the, the un, unspoken rules of blackness. I don't know. I, I, I think of this and I go, well, what aren't we down with? In today's day and age, especially with social media, if you don't agree with black people in certain cases, you immediately be called, they call you a coon. You know, if you go against black Twitter, coon, coon. <laughs> and so I think what Richard has been trying to express over the years is that he grew up in the hood. He knows about hard times, but he also knows that by watching his mother and his stepfather, um, he also knows that you can overcome your circumstances by hard work. And when you live that life and when you've been in that life, it's hard to, for him, complain when he knows that hard work can change your life. And yes, I, I, I think he does see both sides, but I did ask him, I think you hard on black folks because sometimes that's the case. We're hard on each other. And Richard explains, you know, oftentimes eloquently, oftentimes I doubt him. So if you're listening, I was like, I don't know, Richard. And I'm not going to sit up here and bash him. I want you to listen to him because I think, honestly, he's a great guy and he has a great heart. And what he's trying to explain is his experience and his conditioning and what he has come in contact with and what he has dealt with over the years. Sometimes we just don't let people have their own stories. We have to infiltrate their stories with our thoughts and our opinions. And so I want you to sit back, relax, and listen to Richard. Um, the first thing that we got into without too much provocation was, you know, tell me about yourself. How'd you grow up? I was born in 1980, Los Angeles, California. Uh, my dad went to Morningside High School in Inglewood. My grandmother still lives in Inglewood. Uh, my mom went to Dorsey High School uh, in South Central LA. So we we grew up in the jungles uh, of LA. Uh, Boys in the Hood, Minutes of Society, like all the movies, all the things. Um, you know, and I was born in 1980 at the beginning of like the crack epidemic, uh, which you know affected my family. My dad, you know, uh, struggled with drug and alcohol abuse for you know, probably the next 30 years of, of my life. Uh, but, you know, grew up in LA. And then in 1988, um, I remember my mom vividly saying that she remember hearing uh, a story uh, about, you know, one in three, you know, black males are not going to make it. Now I'm the youngest of three boys. And so my mom was like, yep, it's time to go. And so uh, we moved with the church. Uh, there was about eight families from a church uh, and we all moved to Phoenix, Arizona to try and get away from what was going on in South Central LA at the time. That was kind of, you know, my get out of LA. Uh, and really, I, I would say like my life path kind of started once I moved to Phoenix and my mom got us out of that area. When people find out about my background, you know, they always assume that I was like, Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when I was closer to Will Smith. So you'll hear often he is referring to Will Smith, which is kind of funny to me. I don't know why I didn't say, why do you keep referring to Will Smith? Because Will don't know nothing about no struggle no more. I guess you don't either. I don't know about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I got to figure all that out. Um, okay. Anyway, nevertheless, though, Richard makes a really good point. And he says that, and I know this 
to be true. When you grow up in a diverse neighborhood or a neighborhood where you're one of a few black people, you learn how to relate. Um, I sometimes say it's a chameleon. You blend in. Um, it, it becomes a skill set that I like to refer to as adaptability. Now, the problem here is um, it's tricky because it really is dependent upon who is looking at you. I look at Richard and I see what he's gone through and I understand what he's trying to say because I've been there. But there's also a point in time when you, as a black person, must know who you are in spite of what every single person says. When you are, uh, when you speak a certain way, when you talk a certain way, um, when your interests uh, are of a broader spectrum, a lot of times as African-American males, people will assume a certain something about you. Now, I'm not going to put words in other people's mouths, but it's like, oh, well, I don't see you as black or, or you talk this way. And you're just like, well, well, inadvertently, what you're doing in trying to give me a compliment is you're really insulting everyone in my race by doing that. You're not really, you don't know that you're doing that, but if you really break down the levels, which I just don't have the time or the effort to do it anymore. Uh, but I've had to express that to my friends growing up. Like, oh, I, I, you're not black. I don't see you as black. And I was like, well, you should see me that way just because we live in the same neighborhood, just because we eat at the same restaurants. Like when I get pulled over by the cops or when something goes wrong, they don't view me as as Richard, my friend. They view me as, you know, a, a threat at times. And it's and it's more of because you, you and you feel uh, uh, acceptance from both sides, right, uh, of the spectrum. It doesn't matter if you're in a room with a ton of white people, you know how to act and, and talk. And you, if you're in a room with a ton of black people, you know how to act and talk. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, on the west side of Glendale. You put me in a room with a bunch of Mexicans, I know how to act. Because my best friends growing up on the west side of, of Glendale, or the west side of Phoenix, Glendale, Arizona, best friends were Anthony Fernandez, uh, Angelo Amayo, like, the, like all my boys. So like I was eating, you know, authentic Mexican food. Like I, I was, you know, listening to the same music because that's kind of where I grew up. Um, we do, we, we often do that is where you're not necessarily looking for acceptance, but you're, you're, you're relating. Uh, Will Smith, Will, Will Smith said something and he goes, he had a similar similar kind of upbringing where it was like he would be in certain areas, but like he had friends on all say He's like, I learned how to make white people laugh. I learned how to make black people laugh because they laugh at different things. And you can use things that at times you might feel insecure about, right? Because look, I ain't white, but like black people might look at you like, well, you don't relate to the struggle. So you're like, I don't relate to the struggle. My dad smoked crack for 30 years and my mom was on welfare most of the time growing up. My dad was shot and killed in Compton, California in a drive-by. How much more of the fucking struggle you want me to relate to? Here's what's interesting about Richard giving, you know, the resume of what he's been through as a black person. Or sometimes, I guess there was a time in his life he felt as if he had to give his resume to show, I am black. I've been through that. My father was on crack. He finds himself in this really weird position. And I don't know if anybody can relate, but... While he has to consistently define how black he is or how he knows about the struggle, there is the other side of his life where his mother and his stepdad worked so hard to get them into a decent environment and a, de a decent place to live. They then 
they then realize they're being, you know, or he is being teased because he doesn't have enough. He isn't rich enough. He isn't fitting in per se. The dichotomy of fighting your way through both worlds must take its toll. You know, so my mom, when we first moved to Phoenix and my mom, quick backstory, my mom moves to Philadelphia. She marries her childhood sweetheart. That's my stepdad for the next 30 years until he, he passed away uh, recently. But, you know, that, that, that's, that's my father. But I think where I realized, like, I was a little different is that my parents worked really, really hard so that we didn't have to live in that area, but we had the least in the area, if that makes sense, right? It's like, yeah, it's like my mom was like, hey, you, we could drive a nice car. You guys can have nicer clothes, but we're going to have to live in a not necessarily so nice area, or we can have beaters and take the bus to school and ride bikes to work, but we're going to live in a nicer area. And my parents chose that. And so for me, growing up in those areas, I didn't have much other than athleticism, right? So it was like, that was the one thing is like, yeah, my clothes don't fit. Yeah, my, my, my clothes is dirty and raggedy. Yeah, you know, I, I, I might not always have money for lunch. But once we get there, oh, this is my chance for vengeance. So that's where the chip in my shoulder came from. So before we get into the chip on his shoulder uh, in the NBA, Richard went to the University of Arizona. Then he went pro in 2001, right? In the 13th overall pick, I believe. Yes, it was the 13th overall pick in the very first round, obviously, for the New Jersey Nets, now Brooklyn Nets, and we'll get into that. And Richard has had a pretty impressive career. Um, he won a chip. He became an NBA champion in 2016 with the Cavs. He retired two years later, and now he's doing his TV thing. And I'll admit, the very first time I met Richard, and whether that was in person or maybe it was as they were making that one for the chip, I did judge him. He explains how that happens all the time, especially in the league. Because of my first six years, my first six years in the league, I was with one team. I was with, you know, the now Brooklyn Nets. But as I got older and I started to go like one year in Utah, one year here, one year there, all of a sudden people got to know me. And if I had a dollar for every new teammate I got that I was like, I would have never guessed that you were this way, right? Like, like you know, because it's like so many times our interviews with athletes, it's, I, you know, this and, hey, these are the answers. And then you go about your business. I don't talk a lot on the court. I don't hang out with a ton of NBA players. But once you got into the locker room, and I think you see it, what you see is you you follow me and, and you've been there since the beginning of my career at ESPN. I'm very sarcastic. I'm very joking. I'm very outgoing. A little bit of a shit talker, but everybody was like, the, the, the fans are like the fans and, the, and people are like, we had no idea you were like this. But like every teammate that I ever had was like, oh, yeah, that's Richard, like 24 seven nonstop. He can't even control it. You just got to learn to deal with it. Then it becomes funny. So I think me trying to um, prove myself, I, I, I think it's more of like you get comfortable in your own skin because you start to realize that like it's not always about trying to keep up with people or what people's perceptions are of you. It makes you a little bit more comfortable in just being you. Your perceptions of me are not my responsibility. Hey, everybody, stick around. We got to pay some bills. So thank you so much for hanging out with us for this entire episode. When we come back, more with Richard Jefferson. 
Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment. Connected with. At Bed 365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion. That girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment. Connected with Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this episode with Richard Jefferson, my friend. Uh, let's get into it because he's quickly, I know you've noticed, uh, quickly turned into the race analyst as opposed to just the sports analyst. But it's an education. 
pay attention. So here's what's interesting. And look, this is something that is cultural. And and maybe if you are not black on the outside looking in, you can relate to this. But I, I think you can. I think every minority group can relate to this. Um, not being considered authentically black. And you go through your whole life trying to fit in, but never really just fitting in. You just have been, you're making it through. You're surviving. Um, and Richard has evolved. Um, he's very comfortable and he knows how people see him and perceive him. And I, and I felt like, especially with me, even when I met him before this podcast and we had a, a, a moment to sit and talk, I felt as if he had to lead with the fact that, you yeah, look, I'm black. I'm not white. I'm not a black boy acting white. So don't treat me as such. And I feel as if people do that. I've done that. People have done that because they may feel as if they're not accepted. And now... Now at this point in his life, I, I, I had to ask him, like, God, this conversation, um, you're so intense and you're so passionate and so eloquent and you've done a lot of research about, you know, what it means to be this type of man in a black and white world. Are you comfortable, Richard? That was my question. That simple. Are you comfortable? I'm very, very comfortable, right? Because once you've already gone through it, Right. Once you've already gone through it your whole life, you know what I'm saying? Like once you've already done it, I've often learned that like those people, like they don't affect my bank account. They don't affect my happiness. I could have all the acceptance in the world from other people. The only thing that matters to me is what I enjoy doing, where I like to be, where I like to hang out, who I associate with, because that's all that matters. And so I, I think the the it, it shaped me more in making me more comfortable in doing doing me doing like what I enjoy versus there are people that are constantly looking for acceptance. There are people and you know, this, you, you know, this you've seen, whether it's, whether it's black people trying to act all hoity toity and you'd be like, yo, that's not you. Or you've seen black people trying to act super, super ghetto, trying to hang out on the block, trying to like be cool. And you're like, that ain't you either. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, uh, to me, it's like the more authentic you are with who you are versus trying to fit into a group, those are the stronger people. I look at it as like a tool belt, right? I can sit and have a conversation in one group. I can sit and have a conversation in another group. I don't say that I feel more comfortable. There are some people that I just feel more comfortable around black people. There are some people I only feel more comfortable. And this is, this is around, this is also across sexual orientations. Oh, I feel more comfortable around gays and I do straight people. And like, these are conversations that go on. Um, one thing that, you know, it, it takes me back to one of my favorite like movie scenes is in eight mile where Eminem is going at the dude. And he was just like, yeah, Clarence, he comes from a real nice family. And he just goes off on the dude because he's like, yo, he's not one of us. He's not like us. And it's like, wait, just because he comes from a nice family, just because he comes from this, doesn't not make him a part of the culture, doesn't make him any different. So not only is Richard comfortable, um, there there was a time in his life, and I think we all have experienced this. I know I have. I can remember the moment, and, and you guys bear with me. I can remember the moment when I, quote unquote, grew up in the hood, right? I'm just going to give you the story that you've heard over and over again that so many people tell, but it's true. You know, you, you grow up in a hood or a not so desirable neighborhood, not necessarily the hood, and you, and you know the moment when you're going to be different from everybody you're around. You remember that moment like it was yesterday. 
for me, it was a summer night and I was at my grandmother's house. I was supposed to be home when the street lights came on <laughs> and I was out being fast, hanging out with some neighborhood girls and they were just hanging with some boys and all of it felt wrong. I was like, these boys are older than us. I am not supposed to be here. What is going on? I don't like it. And I just turned around and left. And I remember them making fun of me and calling me scary and being like, can you believe her? She's so scary. She's so scary. And I remember thinking that's my choice. But I was strong enough in that moment, as simple as it may sound right now, thinking about it. Because, you know, when you're a kid, peer pressure is a big deal. But I was strong enough in that moment to be like, something about this doesn't feel right. I don't need to be hanging out real late with some grown boys and I'm a little girl. None of this feels right. And I left. Richard talks about that moment. Not necessarily him hanging out with older boys, but (laughs) he talks about, forgive me, Richard. He talks about that moment where he knew that he was just going to make different choices. My mom, right? Now I had my, my dad struggle with drug abuse. My one brother struggled with drug abuse. He was in and out of prison and he's only 18 months older than me. So it was very easy for me to choose that route because it was my next closest brother. You know, I'm 15, he's 17. Like we could have been, I could have been running the streets with him. He saw me play when I was a sophomore in high school. Now he's lived in Arizona the whole time, right? Now he's in and out of juvenile hall, prison, stuff like that. But he saw me play when I was a sophomore in high school. So I was 14, 15. He did not see me play again in person So I was a junior in college, right? So like, and it was like, I remember having to go visit him in prison. And I remember it was like, I was wearing all blue and that's the same, the prison garbs that they were wearing. And I remember there was like this big thing when I went to leave because like these guards tried to stop because they were like, they were confused. They just saw the prison blue and they saw some black kid walking the wrong direction. And I'll never forget that. But um, it's different, but I have two brothers that, that didn't graduate high school, but my mom used the Pell Grant and public service and, 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 and like public, uh, like money and opportunities and scholarships to go back. She graduated college when I graduated high school, she got her master's right when I was about done with college. And then she got her doctorate in education, right? Strong black woman. That's my mother. Right. So she my mom, my mom got her doctorate in education and started teaching at colleges in Arizona. So now look at those two perspectives. I got one dad that struggled with drug abuse for 30 years. And I got a mom that went back when I was I was her youngest. But I went back when I was in high school and started getting her degrees. So, yes, my perspectives and our perspectives are very different. I don't see the world the same way my brother and my dad do. And that shit ain't my fault. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. And, and I mean that from like, not in a, a black standpoint, it's like, no, I'm not one of you from the sense that like my decisions that I make are different, right? How I go, how I choose to live my life and what makes me happy. I could have been in the car where my brother stole a car. And I was like, this doesn't seem like a good idea. And while Richard clearly made a decision to be different, as he talks about, he didn't want to be in the car when his brother decided to steal a car, you know, uh, he knew right from wrong um, there's a part of me, and, and, and you guys can weigh in and tell me what you feel. There's a part of me, though, that hears his frustration and constantly feeling as if he has to prove something to someone. We are the, 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 the sect, the group of our community that, that we see things from a different perspective. Like we can, we, we, I feel like there are certain you know, black people that can see things from a a bit of an aerial view. And I mean, and I don't mean like entertainers, I mean, based off of experience, right? Based off life experiences and life choices where like 
we can look back at people that we grew up with and they might in a way necessarily resent us because you made it out, right? Or because, well, why do you think you're special? And what do you do? Like, we're one of the few communities that will actually that will actually uplift or, or that will actually, I almost say tear down is not the right word, but will questions people's success, right? We don't constantly applaud that success. We don't like, you know, there can be criticisms of like your education and how you speak and how you go about things, making it seem like, oh, you're not trying to be black because you do this or you behave this way. And it's like, no, that couldn't be any further from the truth. It, it looks very, what you know about that? Like that's what it looks like. Like just like when you when when you're when with kids or something, and you kind of look at them, it's like, man, you don't know nothing about that, man. Sit down. You like what? What you talking about? Like, and it's not, and it's and it's not in a condescending way. It's very like an, um, are you just acting, or do you really, you know, what I'm saying? Because so much time, like, to know about a person is is one to see them as they are, but also to know where they came from to see them as they are. Right. It's like you can look at me and say like, oh, well, look at what he's done. Look at this. He's accomplished this. He's done this. And but if you truly know my backstory and where I came from and like forks in the rows and decisions and things that I have had to make, you will look at me differently because that's just the truth. Uh, and, I, and I think our culture probably more so than others right? Like there's not a lot of success stories of rednecks, no disrespect, making it out of the trailer park. Like that story ain't, and there's tons of them. They don't tell that story. That's what I'm saying. There's tons of them where there's like the pretty girl or the guy athlete that grew up in a trailer park. You know, it could be a white boy that grew up in a trailer park with not a lot and he makes it out. Nobody wants to hear that story. But that story is no different than whether his parents struggle with drug abuse, whether it was this or that. Like that story is no different and and than our story. But they often want to elevate those black stories of like, look, he came from nothing and he didn't know his dad. And it's like, I don't need I don't need to elevate those stories. I don't need to go out there and tell the world this is my story. This is who I am to validate my position. So I have to ask myself, and let me even ask you. Um, do you think that you judge the people you know too harshly or the culture that you think you know too harshly? I'll ask myself and the answer quickly is yes. Sometimes I am. I'm hard on myself, so I'm definitely going to be hard on the people around me and sometimes the culture. Um, but I asked Richard this question because, as I mentioned, I hear his frustration, but I wonder if we take a step back and we're fair, right? Fair first because we're all going to have our own opinions and we're going to be subjective we can't help it that's just who we are as human nature but are we being fair and if you ask yourself that question before you you know deliver judgment a decision whatever it may be I think you're on the right track and so I asked Richard are you being too hard on the culture his response to me eloquent I look at it as I would judge and I don't like understand the context I'm about to give you. I will judge my family and my kids differently than how I look at other kids behaving. Right. So when I see, you know, two little kids that ain't my kids, right. I'm not sitting here judging them. I might look at my kids and say, don't you dare act like that. Right. Or don't, you know what I'm saying? So when I say that, do I unfairly judge black people? No, but I want to hold black people to a high standard. 
I, I know I, I've seen decisions be made where it's you can go smoke crack for 30 years or you can use government assistance to become a doctor. Which route you want to take? Now, I know how hard it is. My mom was a single mother on welfare. My, my stepdad, who God rest his soul, he rode a bike every single day to Fry's to, to be a grocer. And then he got a manager position. So instead of riding his bike two miles to the local grocery to bag groceries, he had to ride it 15 miles. And this is in Phoenix, Arizona, right? So when I see that this, this strong black man is raising three kids that ain't his, and he's riding a, a bicycle there, and he's riding doing all of these things, and he goes and gets a graveyard shift to scrub floors, I know what's capable. I don't want to hear excuses like that, right? And it's like, I understand that your situation can be bad. My situation was bad. I can understand that you might know your dad or your dad. I had that same thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I had basketball that saved me. I'm 6'7". I'm 240 pounds. I had basketball that saved me. So I'm not, I don't look at it from that standpoint, but I look at it from my mother's standpoint. Is like she used public service to go back and get degrees. I look at it from my, my stepfather's st standpoint. It's like, even my own brother, like, oh, I ain't got a car and I can't get a job and did it after I'm done and not for him. But I'm like, dude, the example that was set for us, you saw dad ride a bike to feed us. You saw dad have to do all these things to feed us. And so for me, it was always like, those are the examples that were set for me coming from nothing and working to something. And I'm not even talking about basketball. So when I judge people, I judge people on like, things can be done. My examples, my examples personally, my examples personally are what motivated me. My dad never missed a day of work, right? Never missed a day of work. Like it didn't, whatever. So for me, when it came to playing a basketball game, I'd have to be injured before I missed a game. Like I'm gonna go play. And so I think that that's where the responsibility comes in of how can you go be an example for certain people? Now it could be my nieces and nephews. It can be, it can be people that are in my community. Uh, especially like where I grew up that I still have a connection to, but I don't judge people that don't have the same experiences. But I also know that my mom, when she was living in South Central LA, she didn't have a ton of examples of like, oh, you want to go be a doctor, right? Like, no, like that's something that was within her. And without, without questioning, she's like, how can I get this done? Right. And so like, that was my example. And I know how fortunate I am to have a single mother that was raising three boys in where she was that said, I want more for myself. And not everybody has that. So I don't judge really anybody because I know what it feels like to be judged based off of like wrong perceptions. But I do view when people are given opportunities, you better maximize those opportunities. So as I uh, close out this particular podcast, my heart's heavy about a few things, right? Um, I, I will say this. I will say I um, hope that listening to Richard, really truly understanding his background and where he came from, why he has the opinions he has. The biggest thing that we can ever do, and I'm realizing this, is to understand that people respond and react based on their conditioning. I am going to respond and react based on my conditioning. And sometimes we don't even take that into consideration when we are judging people and making opinions, swift, quick, it's the same thing. Swift opinions, rushing to judgment, deciding who people are. We do that. Um, and that and that sucks. I don't know any other way to say it just sucks. I say that because I'm coming off an incident personally where I was working. And my male colleague who was white was working with me. 
And I felt as if I was consistently being judged for being tough or demanding or wanting more. And it bothered me because the frustration came from people not really understanding what I've been through. And you don't have to take, I mean, by the way, hi, it's work. We don't have, we don't, we can't take time to say to every person, the reason this person acts this way is because they've been conditioned a certain way. Who cares? But I, and I'm, and, and as I'm saying this to you, I know I am asking too much of people to be aware of other people's trials and tribulations and their conditioning, if you will, which they bring into the workplace, into the workplace, because you always bring it into the workplace. So I say, while listening to Richard, I understand more. I, I, I see how his experiences, I see how his experiences have shaped him. I see how his conditioning has shaped him. He had a mother who was on welfare and she worked her way off of government assistance and got a doctorate. Excuse me? Listen to that. Those stories are amazing. Had a father who rode his bike to work and then he got a promotion and then rode his bike even farther to work and then did overnight shifts as a janitor to make sure that he could provide for his family several of the boys which weren't even his they were his stepsons but he took care of them like they were his own man now i see i get it i get it why you're like you know what a little grit a little grind it'll work out that's his conditioning that's his experiences that's what he's seen he's also seen the same in the same household the brother not do the right thing why he did the right thing and he sees the result of doing the right thing versus the wrong thing, right? He sees the end result of both of both of those decisions being made simultaneously. So it helped me understand him a little more. And sometimes I wish I had that same understanding in the workplace. Quite frankly, it's just not going to happen. So as a result, the onus, the work is on me to look at other people and understand why they are how they are <laughs> and why sometimes I'm just going to be that angry black woman at work because they don't even understand that one, I have the right to be angry. So kiss my ass. And two, I'm not angry at all. I'm just conditioned. These are my experiences. Give me some leeway. Consider how I grew up. And I'm not even talking about growing up personally, even professionally, how I came into this business, how I've survived and fought my way through this business in spite of, not with help of. Don't get me started. Maybe that's next week's episode. Thank you all for taking some time to get naked with us uh, with Richard Jefferson. Thank you, my friend. Uh, you did an excellent job. Goodbye. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.